Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me for this special historical episode of the podcast are some of the usual suspects when things turn to history, left to right. A returning champion, editor-in-chief of Naval History Magazine, Richard Latour. Hello, Richard. Hello, Ward. Thanks for having me back. Editor of the periodicals team, both Proceedings and Naval History, Brian O'Rourke. Brian, hello. Hey, Ward. Uh, you forgot to give Richard's uh, three-day winnings total so far. <laughs> <laughs> returning champion, just like to that, put that That's up. true. What are your three-day winnings? In the, I think you've reached uh, $55. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, and the star of our show, and I'll, I'll put the cover up for those watching at home on Facebook Live, is longtime member of the Naval Institute Press team, Gordon England Chair of Professional Naval Literature, Lieutenant Commander Retired Tom Cutler. Hello, Tom. Hi, glad to be here. So before we get to the subject at hand, Leyte Gulf, Brian, you have some breaking news on the sunken ship discovery front. Right. The uh, research vessel Petrel continues its streak of victories uh, at sea, finding in the last week two of the four Japanese aircraft carriers uh, sunk at the Battle of Midway. So uh, about a week ago, they found uh, the Kaga, and over the weekend they announced the discovery of the Akagi. So uh, kind of a exciting moment for naval history enthusiasts worldwide. So are there images anywhere or, or video, the, usually a video from the submersible? Yeah, they've released a few bits and pieces of things. Uh, we, they they do a good job of putting together really, you know, professional looking packages. But those don't always coincide with the announcement. So I've seen some still photos from their videos. I haven't gone hunting for the, uh, for the video itself yet. It may be out there. And USNI News ran a great story on the discovery of the Kaga last week with video. So you can go to their web address, usninews.com. Or the real web address, which is news.usni.org. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, but go there. Right. Don't go to that other place Richard was talking about, whatever that is. <laughs> All right. So let's get right to, because there's a lot to talk about with respect to the Battle of Leyte Gulf. So Tom, in your book, you sort of tee it off with the this scope piece, uh, how massive, and, and you say there, there aren't enough superlatives really to describe the Battle of Leyte Gulf. And as we argue in modern day times about 11 or 12 aircraft carriers and, you know, a couple <laughs> right. hundred joint strike fighters, the scale and scope of the Battle of Leyte Gulf is really mind-blowing. And I'm reminded of it every time I read stuff that you write and also what Barrett Tillman writes in the current issue of Naval History Magazine, which we'll thread into the discussion as well. So let, let's tee it up with, on, on that theme. Yeah, well, the, the Battle of Leyte Gulf is, uh, many people describe it as the largest naval battle in history. And of course, it all depends on how you shape those things, but it, it clearly is a top contender. Um, it covers over 100,000 square miles of, of uh, battle space, uh, hundreds of ships, um, both sides, incredible uh, Many casualties on both sides, and and one of the things that's um, a little misleading is it's called the Battle of Leyte Gulf, and the truth is it's a whole series of engagements that make up that battle, and uh, lasting over a couple of days. So it's uh, it's gargantuan by by most standards. You say a whole bunch of is it 
I, I believe it's four major battles sort of make it up. Is that yeah, how, the, how you would yeah, segment it? The four major battles, and I always include the uh, the engagement at Palawan Passage, which uh, just prior to the the big engagements <clears throat> where submarine, American submarines actually sink a couple of the cruisers that are on their, on their way to Leyte Gulf. And it has a pretty uh, serious impact on, I think, uh, considering they, they sink the flagship out from under the, the admiral in charge and he has to go for a swim. Um, various other factors. But anyway, yeah, it's it's four major engagements and, and then this submarine engagement as well. So let's do a quick history of the Pacific uh, for the uneducated. So let's start with Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor happens, right? as we described um, a few months ago when we were talking about the Battle of Midway, six months after Pearl Harbor, and we forget how quickly this happened, we have the Battle of Midway. So that's 1942. Mm-hmm. But now we fast forward to October of 1944. Set the scene for how, how we how we got to where this is 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 happening. Right. It actually begins uh, right after Pearl Harbor because you've got uh, General MacArthur out in the uh, Pacific. There, he's been there for a good while, and you're trying to figure out what's the command structure. How do we fight this war? And and MacArthur being this huge personality, there's some people that want MacArthur to run the entire show. There are other people that would jump off a cliff if he was the one that did it. But, <laughs> you know, it just depends on your, you know, MacArthur's one of those polarizing figures. You either love him or hate him, but very few in between. But um, the compromise they come up with is they, they divide the Pacific into a command for MacArthur called the Southwest Pacific, and then they give Central Pacific to Nimitz. And they conduct two virtually independent campaigns heading towards Japan from different different angles. But by the time 1944 comes along, they these two uh, um, commanders start to merge, and they they merge at the Philippines, and they actually bring in all their assets to to uh, get MacArthur to make his famous return. I shall return. So that happened on the 20th of October. Right. right. That's the famous I shall. He returns and he, right. he wades ashore. And then the Japanese respond to that by sending what, what they have left at that point. It's, it's greatly diminished from what it had been, but they still have some formidable forces, particularly in the, in terms of battleships and that sort of thing. Yeah. You say that they, you know, brought these, they converge, they do, but they still don't combine them. No. And that's the interesting thing is you've got MacArthur with uh, Vice Admiral Kincaid under him, and you've got uh, Halsey under Nimitz and Mitcher under Halsey. So how does that play out? It it plays out very poorly. Um, You're exactly right. You've got two major fleets, um, the third fleet being the bigger of the two, but you've got two major naval fleets, U.S. Navy fleets, uh, operating in the same basic area, and they, they can't even communicate with each other, at least not officially. Uh, any kind of, if you, you're looking for a common commander at Leyte Gulf, it's FDR. You have to mm-hmm. go all the way up the chain yeah. of command, and you wind up at FDR before you have any real convergence, because they're all operating from different different chains of command. Um, so yeah, and, and it, it has consequences, serious consequences. Like what? Well, when time comes, uh, there's assumptions made. Instead of people talking to each other, they're assuming certain things, like the assumption is that Halsey goes charging north to go after uh, one of the Japanese forces, but he takes his entire fleet with him. Other people are assuming that he's left part of that fleet behind, which he does not. And because they're they're not only not talking to each other, they're listening to each other's message traffic and only picking up portions that, that turn out to be misleading as well. So the thing turns into a bit of a fiasco in that respect. And and the, the end result is the Japanese have an excellent opportunity to inflict major harm 
at, at Leyte itself. And do they? I mean, I know they get one carrier in, as a consequence of, of well, Halsey's uh, move there. What, yeah, they, what else exactly happened? Well, they get – when they the door is open for the Japanese, for Corita's force to come through uh, San Bernardino Strait and come down on the, the landing forces, which are being supported by a bunch of uh, escort carriers, little um, mini carriers there. And they're, they're geared up for uh, – Providing support on shore and also some ASW stuff. They're not major, not in, ready for a major fleet engagement, and they're suddenly confronted by a super battleship and a bunch of other battleships and cruisers and destroyers, a, a large force, and uh, it's a very near-run thing. And in fact, if Corita had not, for some reason, we've never quite determined why, uh, broken off the engagement at the time that he did, it could have been a lot worse. As a result, we lose uh, two destroyers, one destroyer escort, an, uh, an escort uh, aircraft carrier, and uh, there's some serious losses as a result of this, but it could have been far worse. So we're jumping ahead a little bit in terms of the chronology when we talk about Halsey, but while we're talking about Halsey, I enjoyed where he kind of gets reamed by King, um, and these are the things you don't think about when you have, you know, mm-hmm. the field house is named for him and other, you don't think of these guys as, right. as you know, Flesh officers subject to being dressed yeah. down by their yeah. superior. Um, when did, when did this happen with the CNO? I was short. Out I, I don't, uh, I don't remember exactly, but it was shortly after the, the battle. It was, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of time in between. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he'd just gotten back yeah, to just back the to Anchorage, East, right? right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, Came in and first he got Nimitz wasn't too cool with what he'd done, right? So he heard from him. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate, and this is as told by his aide, who right. was a submariner and a hero in his his own right, right? Um, and a class of thirty five Navy football player, not unlike Slade Cutter, who yeah. we were talking about last episode. <clears throat> um, you know all these these you know just brilliant personalities, these bigger than life characters. Right. Um, that's what's fun about this applied history. Sorry, Richard, mm-hmm. I'm using a term you hate. Applied history, <laughs> uh, but uh, I love it because mm-hmm. it's really these are leadership lessons. Yeah. And right. there's when you put the who in it and you give them real like human traits, it's it really comes to life. So sure, the aide goes to him and says hey the, the boss wants to see you and he's like now he's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 kind of now bring right. your playbook yeah exactly exactly <laughs> right, right. and he says before he even shuts the door king is just just reading him the riot act yeah um mm. in a very uh, deliberate way yeah, we, we tend to think of these iconic figures as you know these bigger than life characters and, and they are in some ways but they are also human beings and and uh what you're talking about is an excellent example of that another one is that uh, Halsey and Nimitz are, are very close friends as well as being uh, a commander and subordinate and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Nimitz sends a message that Halsey interprets as being a slap by Nimitz and, and reacts very emotionally. I mean, throws his cap across the bridge and, and I think broke into tears really over the yeah. thing and so forth. So these are these are real people that are dealing with all these things and, and uh, makes a big difference. And I, I just want to mention that episode Tom was just talking about will be featured in our Friday podcast. Uh, the guest will be Richard Frank, and he'll be discussing his article, The World Wonders, which appears in the latest issue of Naval History. Which is a reference to that message yes. that, yep, that exactly. Nimitz said, sent to Halsey. Absolutely. Yes. Which is sort of, I mean, that's the height of sarcasm, right? I mean, that, that <laughs> right. sounds like a tweet, you know, the world wonders, <laughs> ellipsis. Yeah. And, and the know. interesting part is that that was not intended at all. That was yeah. actually padding that had been a- added to the message was supposed to be absolutely meaningless. 
But mm -hmm. the fact that the whoever picked that particular thing came up, it seemed to be part of the message, and that's yeah. how Halsey interpreted it. He shouldn't have. He should have seen that it was just padding, but instead he took it as a real slap some, in the face. Some cryptologist so, or some yeoman somewhere just <laughs> cranking it out. Actually, I think Breaking it was a, news, it's yes. in naval history. Yeah, who done it? Yeah. The latest yeah. naval history. The who done it has been solved. And that's what we'll talk about Friday. That's right. right? Yep. Okay, so we'll, good. We'll tease it out. But back to the, the, the scope and how many, because you, you mentioned uh, the, the escort carriers, which were the, the smaller carriers. Mm -hmm. We had a bunch of those and then the, mm -hmm. the bigger carriers. Um, let's talk about, uh, and I'm also segueing here, uh, again, for those uh, on Facebook Live, let me show you the cover of the latest issue. And I apologize, it's backwards. But uh, the latest issue of Naval History, our good friend um, uh, Barrett Tillman, uh, goes into some cool detail. And, and as an aviator, I always love when you uh, sort of talk about things like Pratt and Whitney versus Curtis and the wildest wildcat um, and all the other stuff he's talking about in terms of the difference between TBFs and TBMs mm -hmm. and, and how they flew them and how they used them. And uh, it was interesting to see the difference between bombs and torpedoes. And uh, they said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but bombs let in air Torpedoes let in water. I thought that was a very uh, interesting way to frame it. Mm. Um, it's wonderful. But there was also some tactics and survivability, and it was, you know, if you're dive bombing, you were probably going to make it better than if you were flying at the, the water, you know, flat against the water to deliver a torpedo. But heavy losses. The other thing that you point out, Tom, we forget this, but there were more sailors lost in the Pacific Theater than Marines. Mm -hmm. There were more KIA. Fewer wounded. Right. So let's talk about that in, uh, for a second, why that was so. Well, the the reason with their fewer wounded on the battlefield, the wounded can be hopefully recovered and get some kind of treatment and so forth. But when ships start to go down, they take large numbers of people with them. So you get more KIAs and fewer uh, casualties that way. Not taking anything away from ground combat, but at the same time, in ground combat, there's a certain amount of individuality that a person can decide whether to put his head up or not, whether mm -hmm. to, you know, how he responds to a situation, what to retreat or to go forward, those kinds of things. On a ship, everybody goes together. Even the starboard buttercutter goes mm -hmm. goes along when it's time to, uh, when the captain decides we're going to charge, which they do at Leyte Gulf, we're going to charge these battleships with destroyers. The whole crew goes with them, and their fate is in, in the hands of that. And that's something that sometimes forgotten or, or overlooked so let, let's go back to chronology sure where where, where was the first skirmish that that keep never mind the macro picture that they kind of you know this mm. confluence in the san bernardino right. straits or whatever but what was the first engagement between what vessels and, and that that started the battle well, the, like, the first battle of the four major battles okay the four yeah again i mentioned the submarines before that but the the first major battle uh the uh, Japanese are, are approaching, and Halsey's uh, force picks them up, and they start attacking them. And uh, so you have these these initial attacks. All day bombardment. Um, they ultimately wind up sinking uh, one of the. Uh, so what what kind of ships are we talking about when you say all day bombardment? Is this carrier carrier yeah, based Halsey's, aircraft? Is Hal this ship on ship? Right. Halsey's carriers are launching air attacks against these uh, Japanese battleships and cruisers. This large, it's a very formidable force, but it has no air cover. The Japanese right. force this, I'm talking this about. This was in the Sabu Sabuian? Sabuian Sea, Sabuian thank you. Sea. Sabuian and Sulu Seas, those are the two. So Halsey's carriers 
are these mostly the the, the Essex class big ones, or yes. are, are these the escort yes. carriers? No, these are the big ones. These okay. are the, Halsey's got the big carriers, and he's got a lot of them, an okay. amazing number of them. And they're just relentless. They're pounding the Japanese all the way across the Sibuyan Sea to the fact that they, they sink one of these super battleships, these two largest battleships ever built. Um, and one of them actually succumbs eventually to this uh, barrage or this, uh, these relentless attacks. This Korita turns around in the Sibuyan Sea and starts heading back the other way. And, and uh, this has been reported to Halsey, and he kind of thinks, okay, well, we've taken care of that. And that, of course, leads to his actual leaving later when they pick up. What you have to understand is that one of the Japanese forces coming down from the north has got aircraft carriers. And uh, that's a tempting target, especially for somebody like Halsey, who's been looking for that kind of engagement through the entire war. So he sees carriers coming. What he doesn't know is these carriers are virtually impotent. By this time in the war, we've we've killed most of the aviators. Uh, there are very few planes or aviators left on these carriers. They're being used as a decoy force which works absolutely brilliantly because Halsey takes the bait. Understandably, I'm not uh, criticizing. I, I think I've done the same thing under the circumstances, what they, given what they knew. But he goes after the force. The criticism comes in, of course, that he took the entire third fleet with him, which any, any one quarter of that fleet could have. And he didn't tell anybody him. else that he and was he doing that. And he made it unclear. There was some, or it was unclear. There were some it, communications problems. And he wanted to take those battleships so they could finish off the carriers. Right. Um, he should have left his some at least left some battleships. I mean, if I were doing it, I'd have left a whole task force with a couple of carriers as well because he could afford that. He had four gigantic task forces that that he could have sent. Uh, I mean, could have divided in some way, but he just took it all as one major unit. Um, some criticisms are given that that Halsey was a great task force commander, not such a great fleet commander, and that's get into some details there. But but as a result, he he takes the bait and takes the entire fleet with him, and that's. That leads to the uh, – there's a battle up north called of Cape Engano, and that's actually kind of the, the uh, towards the end of the battle. But uh, – and he does sink those carriers most and does some damage. But, again, these are really just decoys and so forth. And that, that battle was fought on October 25th, which was right. the same day as the uh, the battle off Samar. Right. The escort those are going off attacked. virtually simultaneously. Now, and, the so. previous night, there was another one of these yeah. four big battles. Yeah, in between. In some ways, uh, for some people, it's the one that's the most fun. It's uh, the Battle of Surigao Strait because the Japanese are – the original plan is that they're going to come up, one force is going to come up from the south through Surigao Strait, which leads right into Leyte Gulf. And the other force was Corita coming around through the Sibuyan Sea and out through San Bernard and come down. The original plan was they would arrive simultaneously and you'd have this pincher movement where you've got forces coming at you from both sides. Of course, because of the bombardments and the fact that Corita turns around and a lot of other things, that timing is completely thrown off. So the forces coming up from the south comes up at, uh, in the dark of night through Surigao Strait, and it's met by uh, the 7th Fleet, which is uh, under Admiral Kincaid, and they set up a beautiful trap where they, they, they cross the T, uh, they bombard these ships as they're coming up the Gulf, they hit them with torpedoes. I mean, it, it's an absolutely devastating uh, attack. One of the ironies of it, one of the, the beauties of the thing is that uh, most of the battleships are, uh, that take part in this, the American battleships, were actually sunk at Pearl Harbor. And they were resurrected and brought back, so they get their revenge here in Surigao Strait, which, of course, is you couldn't couldn't write fiction better than that. So. <laughs> no, that, that's poetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's a it's a wonderful uh, engage, wonderful in terms. I mean, people are dying here. I'm sorry, you know, but wonderful in terms of when you're looking at history and and those kinds of things. 
So there, there are a lot of stories within the story here. Uh, one, Richard, is pointed out in the current issue of Naval History in the Acts of Valor feature, which is a, a graphic novel short that you do each month here. Tell us a little bit about Commander Ernest Evans. Well, uh, Commander Ernest Evans uh, was skipper was skipper of a destroyer uh, in Taffy 3. Um, and what's a Taffy? Uh, that's, taffy that's a word you hear with this battle was, a lot. was the group of one of three groups of escort carriers. I believe there were six escort carriers in Taffy 3. But there was an also a uh, an escort of several destroyers and, and um, a couple of destroyer escorts. Ernest Evans commanded the Johnston, which was one of these uh, tin cans that w- received the task of protecting the escort carriers as they were trying to flee from Corita's approaching surface force. And they, they had the unenviable task of charging these humongous uh, uh, Japanese ships and cruisers. And Ernest Evans would earn the Medal of Honor for taking the Johnston uh, up against the, the Japanese surface ships. So to so, back up with him, because your feature sort of tells his, his history before yes. that engagement. And so when he was actually in the shipyards when that ship was being built and, and oversaw that, and, and uh, he said to the crew a very famous quote, I intend to go into harm's way. And now yes. I'm paraphrasing. So if you don't want to yes. do that, you might want to leave, right? That kind That's of right. gutsy right. mm-hmm. moto thing that a skipper would say to mm-hmm. this crew. Uh, and uh, yes. as you said, they have this unenviable task of drawing the fire of much bigger ships. Yes. And he does it in spades. Tom mm-hmm. wrote about this in one of his essays. Tom was the editor of the book, but also a contributor to it. And you compared the action of these destroyers something that every middle school and high school student in America would recognize I think oh, the uh, charge of the light brigade yeah. 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 which which happens on the same on the anniversary by yeah. by coincidence and of course it's cannon to the right of them cannon to the left of them and it, it's this kind of thing that they're actually engaged in I think it's a, it's a fair comparison in, in many ways the thing about Evans it's uh, also interesting was that Early in the war, he was out in the Pacific when war broke out, and he wound up, uh, he was the executive officer, I think, on a, a ship at the time, and they had to flee from the Japanese because they were completely overwhelmed at that time. And while he's making this these statements at, at the commissioning ceremony, he says, I, I ran from the Japanese once, I will never do that again. And he proves that. He, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about this task. It wasn't so much a task, it was a decision made by mm-hmm. these these commanders to, to attack to go after these, I mean, they were not geared up for this. They were they were supposed to be protecting against submarines, providing mm-hmm. a little shore uh, bombardment support, and they're out there in a major fleet engagement with ships many times their size and so forth. It's is an act of valor that's not surpassed anywhere, equal sometimes, but never surpassed in my because the enemy had to react, and he did take out one ship, uh, and the rest sort of bought his his uh, decoy, his 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 feint, um, and. Uh, so he's on the, the deck, he gets hit, and even while he's mortally wounded, he's still giving commands. Uh, the ship is, is being steered in aft steering, uh, you know, and, and right. uh, he waves to uh, yeah, another ship, right? It's just yeah. high drama. There's an, right? in, there's an incredible scene in, in this wonderful book about Leyte Gulf that... Um, but <laughs> just, but, <laughs> but there, there is a scene in there that is recreated. I mean, it, it's absolutely, to me, incredible. This 
one of the ships, these two American ships are passing very close aboard at one point. And the skipper, the one looks down and there's John, uh, uh, um, Evans, Evans. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Evans on the fantail of the ship. He's, he's bloodied. He's missing a couple fingers. He's, I mean, he's been really beat up himself. The ship, the bridge is gone from the ship. The stack is hanging over on one side and the ship is still underway and still firing with what little they have left. And he's steering from after steering, manually steering this thing. I mean, it's incredible. And, Try to picture this. I mean, right. It's absolutely incredible. And he gives him a, a yeah. wave like, yeah. Yeah. this is awesome. And that's the last you know? time anybody really saw him. Right. And they, they, so they weren't they sure. Sunk. So they abandoned ship. He gave the order to abandon ship. Yeah. What's the stat there, Richard, uh, right there? How many of the crew survived? You have... 141. Say it into the microphone. 141 <laughs> of 327. Crew. Yeah. Uh, and... His exact fate is unknown. He either went down with the ship or he got into a whaleboat and they didn't make it, right? Um, And and so in any case, because of this valor, he was uh, bestowed the Medal of Honor. Again, this, you know, your your average surface warfare officer circa 1944, right? Uh, It's just amazing stuff. One of the other interesting things is when I was doing research for the book, I I went to the, uh, looked at the Naval Academy's uh, yearbook, the... uh, the lucky it? bag lucky bag right he went and i looked in there and if you open up the lucky bag for his class you, the inside front piece there is this beautiful painting of john paul jones and in there he's saying i i uh, give me a fast ship for i intend to go in harm's way and that's either irony or it was influence i don't know which yeah. but but it Let's call it influence. Yeah. I mean, incredible. Yeah. (laughs) No, it is incredible. And I I want to give a plug for Tom's book. Which is a different book than the other book. Yeah. Right? These are two different books. This came out 25 years ago. It's still the best single volume history of the battle. It's just excellent. But that having been said, you're... Collection is incomplete if you don't have the new one, (laughs) The Battle of Leyte Gulf in 75. The the battle, at least to me, I mean, this, this presents, you know, a great history of the battle. This... In parts, delves deeper into mm. the like the organization, the strategy, um, and more macro. More macro. At the same time, uh, it, it has a lot of great first-person accounts. And mm. I'll, I'll give a plug to an article from Naval History that's in there by Admiral uh, James Holloway. Uh, he was uh, on board a destroyer at the Battle of Surigao Strait, and his chapter in the book is just excellent. For yeah, those listening, uh, the Tom's older book is The Battle of Leyte, Gulf 23 to 26, October 1944. If you're listening to this after our Facebook Live, you won't be able to see it. That's Avail- correct. Available. Uh, it's, from, it's a Blue from, Jacket book. It's a Blue available. Jacket book from Naval Institute Press. Yes. So in convenient Blue Jacket books form. And then and the I'd current like, title is The Battle of Leyte, Gulf at 75, a retrospective. Yeah, I'd like to point out that uh, I was – Fortunate enough to write this, the, the first book came out for the 50th anniversary of the battle, and now this book is coming out for the 75th, and I can't, I, I can't wait to do the 100th anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> and so you shall, sir. Yeah. That's right, yes. Um, so the let's talk real quick, Richard, about uh, Barrett's article in the new issue of Naval History, because as I said, I, I love it because it has this granular detail um, about the different types of airplanes and how we uh, upgraded f- the various forms of Wildcat. We went from a Pratt & Whitney motor to a Curtis motor. He talks about GM. So uh, yeah. we we maybe forget 
And as we talk about the greatest generation, GM completely retooled itself, not quite mm-hmm. overnight, but almost. So yeah. one day they're making Pontiacs and, you know, other, other cars. Mm-hmm. And then the next day they're making Avengers. <laughs> they're making Avengers and they're making ducks, the amphibious yeah. craft that are now mm-hmm. tourist boats nationwide. Yeah. Um, and Allison engines and all kinds of mm-hmm. other stuff, right? So when mm-hmm. we talk about the greatest generation, it really is a good title because yeah. we think of what did the nation do? Because we like to liken 9-11 to Pearl Harbor. The -hmm. number of casualties was sort of close, but the nation did not go all in as we did in World War II. And in fact, Big Jim was the president of GM, became Mm -hmm. FDR's secretary of the military-industrial complex, which his board of directors said, yeah, go ahead and do that. And then they penalized him after the war. So that did not have a good ending mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so much for being a patriot in a world of profit and loss. <laughs> well, um, but, but it's just amazing. So yeah. they made uh, some of the hardware that allowed us to prevail at Leyte Golf. Right. And they're, they're a big part of the so-called arsenal of democracy. It was the U.S. Uh, production capacity during World War II. On this particular article, Naval History has run many, many articles on Leyte Golf, uh, several of which are in Tom's latest book. But I wanted to run something a little different, um, where we'd we'd focus not so much on, you know, chronology of the battle or one of the particular four big battles, but but more on aircraft, uh, because, you know, they were, in a lot of ways, this this was a one of the major air battles uh, of the war. Not so much aircraft against aircraft, but aircraft against surface ship. And so I contacted Barrett, and he was enthusiastic on pursuing this project. And I think he did a really good job of he takes each of the main U.S. Navy combat aircraft types, which were uh, aircraft models, which were four. And does it a little analysis, gives a little history of that aircraft, and then talks about how it performed the Battle of Leyte Gulf. And I think it's really a, a different take on the battle. So he talks about the Devastator versus the Avenger yeah. and what how that capability was mm-hmm. improved. So the mm-hmm. Devastator is basically a scout airplane. Yeah. Um, and the Avenger became sort of the heavy lifter for torpedo missions. Yeah. Um, obviously, he talks about the Dauntless, which was yeah. uh, did a lot at the Midway. Souped up, souped uh, up fighter. And, in, well, you're talking about the Wildcat, the right? Wildcat. So uh, the, no, the Wildcat. No, no, the, well, the, the, the Dauntless dive bomber. Right. But then the Hellcat. Yeah, the Hellcat up, was a souped up, up fighter. And, and, and in it, our last issue of Proceedings, we had that asked and answered feature, and nearly everybody, including me, <laughs> said the greatest fighter of all time was the Hellcat because yeah. of the kill ratio and the stats. And yeah. then secondly, we would, of course, mention the Tomcat, which Admiral Winnefeld also, yeah. uh, we didn't coordinate, but mm-hmm. he picked the same two airplanes. So yes, you talk about the Hellcat, but also the Wildcat right. was an improved airplane because you, as I said, they, went from a Pratt & Whitney they, motor yeah. to a Curtis motor, they souped had it more up. horsepower, yeah. yeah. And I thought that was one of the most revealing parts of this article is the discussion of the, the Wildcat and the role, the key role it played at uh, Leyte Gulf. Uh, escort carriers uh, were, you know, uh, home to, to a lot of these Wildcats. Uh, they were the main fighter based on the escort carriers. And again, the stories within the stories of valor mm-hmm. and bravery, The I'm blanking on his name, but he launches knowing full well he won't be able to return to the ship. Yeah. He knows he's going to have to ditch. Yeah. He carries out the mission, winds up, winds up dishing, survives mm-hmm. 
the mm-hmm. ditching because you know his wingmen are looking. Oh yeah, they're getting in. The three guys mm-hmm. in the Avenger are getting in the raft, but they were never yeah. seen again. Right. So they're never never picked up. Um, McCampbell, who's the Navy's greatest yeah. ace, lands on the ship and in the wires he runs out of fuel. Mm-hmm. In as he traps, yeah. he runs out of yeah. gas. Yeah. That is crazy stuff when you yeah. think about carrier aviation and how much these guys were hanging out, yeah. hanging and, it out. You know, it's just amazing yeah. stuff. It, the final, the final photo in this article. Uh, I'll just read the caption: is, is Japanese shells bracket the USS White Plains CVE sixty six early on twenty five October? Wildcats take off from the Kitkan Bay. CVE seventy one, and here's this is this is a scene from the the battle of Samar where you have these these fighter aircrafts rushing to take off, and in the background you see the, the CVE attacked. getting just pounded yeah. by the Japanese shells. Yeah. Just amazing so stuff. That sort of gives some immediacy to your need to get airborne. Yeah, you know, it, it, like you said, they, there's no perspective um that the current navy has to this kind of thing mm-hmm. you know again applied history this this is just to my eye amazing for for reasons like what you just pointed out mm-hmm. you know i can't imagine looking over the horizon and seeing because i've done three carrier ops in the in the yeah. gulf right mm-hmm. um and that was for operation southern watch and the the hairy part was getting on and off the tanker you know with 10 mm-hmm. guys on each wing of the air force tanker mm-hmm. and deconflicting the case one pattern between carriers. There wasn't something like I look over at Nimitz and Nimitz is under attack while I was aboard the GW, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It's just amazing stuff. And yep. these guys absolutely rogered up to mm-hmm. what the you know situation demanded. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is super cool. If I can make uh, interject one thing, you know, we made made a good point uh, about the, uh, the destroyers, destroyer escorts, this incredible act of heroism going uh, attacking the Japanese. But my, uh, as a surface officer, I enjoy that. But it, my, my friends, the aviators, I will uh, give them full credit because they similarly at this time, they're taking off the, most of them are not armed to, to be attacking battleships and cruisers. They're armed to, to attack land targets or ASW. They got depth charges and that sort of thing. They still go ahead and charge at these ships. They expend what ammunition they have, whatever it might be, and they continue to keep flying harassment at these guys, keep their heads down, keep them distracted, and so forth. I mean, this is, I mean, incredible heroism when you think about it. I mean, it's one thing to be flying in there trying to deliver ordnance, another one just to say, hey, shoot at me so you get distracted. I mean, that's that's incredible mm-hmm. when you think about it. So where does the battle fit in the big picture? So here it is, October of 44, war ends August of 45. What what was the end result of this this battle well this is kind of the last time the japanese were ever able to muster any kind of force uh with one major exception introduced at this battle is the uh a lot of people don't realize this this is where the uh, kamikazes are first uh used officially and and actually uh have some success there and then of course they have a tremendous role at okinawa so the japanese are not down and out, but the Japanese Navy is pretty much done when it, after this battle. They, they really can't muster any kind of forces. The, the uh, one remaining super battleship that does escape from, from here uh, winds up, they, they decide to take her down to Okinawa and run her aground and use her just to fire her weapons from there. She doesn't make it. She gets attacked along the way. But So it's a pretty sad story in that respect. But there's still a lot of dying going on after this uh, as, as a result, despite the fact that the Japanese Navy is, has been knocked knocked out of the ring pretty much so what was halsey's role for the balance of the war after this 
Well, Halsey uh, managed to distinguish himself <laughs> by getting himself into trouble by uh, uh, getting a, a couple of typhoons. Um, one of them was uh, one of the biggest typhoons ever that uh, we wind up losing several ships. I mean, with, again, uh, you can read some startling accounts of people passing by and seeing these red things in the water and they realize they're capsized hulls of american destroyers uh, looking at the underside of a destroyer and that kind of thing so some pretty serious stuff there and, and halsey received a fair amount of criticism uh because of that but but halsey was you got to remember halsey was a tremendously charismatic figure the press loved him he, he said things that he could never say today um <laughs> plus he had a great look just yeah, that, yeah that, he, he just looked like the old yeah, salty central dog casting, so, yeah. yeah central casting right so, and, and as a result, um, he, he played a role in the Navy in that respect. He was a, a morale booster in some cases, uh, able to muster the, the troops in, in, in the darkest days of the war and, and get them to fight back and that sort of thing. So Halsey is a real mixed bag, but, but he certainly deserves a lot of credit and then ultimately gets a fifth star uh, at the end of the war. One of, one, your of few. one of your authors in the book actually suggests that Halsey almost got off the hook for sailing north, uh, mm. but that the 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 typhoon really did him in. That yeah, it didn't help. That's for sure. At that point, you know, King and Nimitz um, were prepared not to throw him under the proverbial bus because right. of what you're saying about his, right. his power. But and and to be clear, I mean, nobody's blaming somebody for a typhoon. That's a natural disaster or a natural mm. event. But but it's some of the decisions he made at the time right. could have been better and they could have avoided some of the damage and, and casualties and so forth that resulted. So that's where the criticism comes from. And we from. didn't have the long lead weather capability no, that we have now no, either. Nearly, I mean, no. maybe a, a day out you would know from another ship that things are pretty sporty, yeah. right? Um, I'd just like to point out for our listeners that uh, Tom is a contributing editor with Naval History Magazine and you can read his Blue Jackets manual column in each issue. And as well, Tom puts out another book called The Blue Jackets Manual, right. a copy of which every naval enlistee receives. At, during boot camp. That's yeah. right. So, and we're in our 25th edition of the, uh, yeah, that's right. the Blue Jackets Manual. So that's another thing that the Naval Institute Press does is mm -hmm. these reference books that are used fleet-wide. Fantastic work. So how do the people get Naval History Magazine, Richard? Well, uh, the best way to get it is to go to our website, which is, let me make sure I get this website right. <laughs> Better be good. <laughs> www.usni.org. That's correct. Yes. And then there's a Naval History Channel. Yes. And you can subscribe. And how much yep. is it per year? Twenty nine ninety five. Okay, that's a good deal. For six issues of this chock full of relevant applied history and yes. other sort of noteworthy stuff, cool columns. Mm -hmm. That graphic novel every month, Acts mm -hmm. of Valor, fantastic, fantastic stuff. And I think we've demonstrated that here today. Another thing to get the word out about, um, and this will be time late for our listeners, but tomorrow, Tuesday, the 22nd of October, is our uh, annual conference here at the Naval Academy Alumni Hall. This year's theme is Artificial Intelligence. Um, we will have those panels on our YouTube channel going forward. So as you hear this, check out the Naval Institute's YouTube channel for these panels. Always newsworthy and informative uh, so forth. So if you're coming, we'll, we'll see you there. I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, uh, while we're making plugs, I'd like to point out for people in the Naval Academy uh, region, we're having a book signing on Saturday for- uh, Oh, that's right. It's homecoming. Tom will be appearing at the midshipman store this Saturday. Right. uh, Which is what, what's the date going to be there? 26th. The 26th. Navy will be playing Tulane. That's correct. um, And hopefully continuing our home, home winning record as we did last weekend. But Tom will be appearing at the, at the midshipman store. What are the hours of you- Signing? Uh, sometime in the morning. I sometime in the nine, morning. Nine or ten, something like that, I think. So. Uh, he'll be signing copies of the Battle of Leyte Golf at 75, a retrospective. Yep. So alums, parents of mids, if you're going to be in the yard, stop by the mid store, say hello to Tom, and uh, get a copy of his book. Makes a great Christmas gift. All right, boys, anything else? Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, yeah. Tom. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was great. Well, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks it's always great to have us, your perspective on these history sure. episodes of the Proceedings Podcast. <laughs> As Richard just mentioned, you can get it on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. We're not on Stitch yet. We're on Google Play. So subscribe. Each episode is uh, is newsworthy and great information for those who care about the sea services and those who should care about the sea services. So uh, thanks a lot for the panel, boys. This You'll be having other stuff happening uh, during the week around Leyte Golf. Look for the hashtag Battle of Leyte Golf 75. Uh, Richard's going to be uh, live tweeting the battle. Eastern Standard Time will be the standard, but it'll be in the chronology of the battle as it happened over the two and a half, three days. So look for that. If you don't follow us on Twitter, you should. And uh, so we'll look further to that. And then, again, we have, who are we having on Friday? We're having Richard Frank. Richard Frank talking about the thing that we were... The World Wonders. The World Wonders message that was sent from Nimitz to Halsey. The mystery is revealed. And so uh, this will be a great episode of the podcast for Friday. So we'll see you then. Until then, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.